0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor. Simultaneously, Toronto pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Rod Garcia. Rod was a okay, he was many things. He was a horse wrangler. He was a private investigator. He was a literary agent. Now turned actor, writer, voiceover actor. Oh my gosh. He does, I think at least three impressions on this episode. Take a listen. See how many you can hear. He definitely does Christopher Walken. He definitely does Schwarzenegger. and He definitely does Yoda. I can't remember if he does anymore. He's an incredible, incredible mimic. And that's how he got started was mimicking others. That's how we got started in the voiceover world. And you'll hear it in this episode. But he met Christopher Walken and was told by Christopher Walken that he had one of the three best Christopher Walken impressions in the world. This was in the 90s. Who knows if it still holds up, but if you hear his impression, you'll agree with me. Yeah, it still holds up. (laughs) Please enjoy the incredible Rod Garcia. Paranormal podcasts are pretty popular, these days. I would think so.
1: and yeah. i I even considered going on, but I thought i I'd rather talk about things that I know about and yeah. and then go so, so, but I did actually tell uh, you know my author to uh, hey, reach out to these people and see because that's I thought that could be that could be useful. And I don't know where it went from there, honestly. i I don't think it, it panned out. but, uh, I think they were looking more for people actually involved in like paranormal investigations and had seen things and had had stories to tell than someone who wrote about fictional accounts.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. They want more of the, yeah. Like the, I remember seeing shows like that on TV. I don't even know if they still exist anymore because oh, everyone I think- now is listening to podcasts, right? Right. Uh, yeah. About the, go- like, ghost hunters.
1: There's a whole network, actually, and I, keep, I get listed or I get, I'll get advertisements for them, but it's the Gaia network. And apparently Gaia has like everything, like the guy with the crazy hair that says aliens, you know, it's uh, it, all of that is on this Gaia network. So if you ever and I think they do like a free trial. So if you're ever just curious or you're like, you know, think I just need just some wackiness in my life. It's like all the ancient alien stuff on there and. I saw Bigfoot and dated his brother and you know whatever it's all the, <laughs> the crazy stories but guys kind of kind of fun
0: I love it I, when when I started doing this podcast I remember thinking about cuz I always say like oh who's your niche like who do you want your listeners and does that already exist in this world I'm like of course it exists in the world because literally every single niche already exists in this world if you can dream it up there are people there Who are doing it already and will listen to you talk about it. (laughs) Exactly.
1: People ask me all the time, you know, like, what what advice do you give to authors? And I I tell them, write what you write. Write what you love. Write what's in you. Because if you try to adapt, people know. People recognize that you're not writing from the heart. I mean, obviously there's, you know, I mean, technical writing and stuff and that's different. But if you're really writing and if you're writing fiction and you love it, Write what you know and write what you love because there's always an audience. And, mm-hmm. like, the internet has proven that time and again. There's, in good and bad ways, there is, there's an audience for everything.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, tell me your story. You have you have worn, and I think still very much wear, many hats.
1: I need to cover the dome sometimes. Yeah. so... <laughs> When I first signed on, it said, um, "Hey, you're about to join Rod. Um, let's uh, let's check your hair, camera, and mic." Yeah. And then ha- hair was conveniently crossed out. It, like, and I thought, hmm. <laughs> Besides watching, I can. Consider- <laughs> 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 but, but about uh, it, like you said about mini hats. Yeah, I. It's funny. I, when I was in high school, and this, I mean, going all the way back. I mean, I could go back earlier. I loved writing. I loved performing. I loved writing little skits and, you know, doing it, it, it kind of the, the same story you hear with a lot of folks that are kind of into that part of the industry. It just, it's a part of your blood from the very, from the, from the beginnings, you know, it starts with, your roots are there. So, um, I was always writing little stories and putting on skits and whatnot. I got into high school and I, I got into drama and creative writing and, um, In fact, I owe a lot of what I'm doing right now to a creative writing teacher that I had in high school. His name was Sid Waller. And um, my high school, my high school days predate uh, the Internet and home PCs. So um, or at least PCs were kind of being there. They were on the on the verge of, you know, showing up at that point. But um, we would walk into class every day and he on the blackboard would have written in some script. And the reason I said predating PCs is that um, he would write in like a different font every day, the two words, what if, and seeing those two words on the blackboard, but jumping out in different lettering every day, just somehow affected my way of thinking. I'd walk into that classroom and, and somehow magically be able to say, what if this, what if that? And I know Disney has their, you know, their Marvel, what if they've had the comics for years, but it's such, those are powerful words. And I think they really became a foundation for how I did everything. What if, what if you did this? What if you tried that? What if you went this direction instead of that? And um, so a lot of my writing was influenced by all of that, but I still at that point believed I wanted to be an actor. And that was like my, that was my passion. I wanted to act. I wanted to be the next the next something, you know, the next big star. And, um, so I moved down to Hollywood as a, as a, just basically out of high school. I, I said, this is, this is where I'm going. I moved down, um, found that I was being offered, uh, roles that I would not want my parents or any future children that I might have to see. So I, uh, kind of stepped away from, uh, the acting avenue. Um, But at that point, I actually discovered there was a there was a woman named Sherry Robb who ran a a talent agency in Beverly Hills called AFH, and um, they handled a lot of they they handled literary and talent, and um, they handled like a lot of the MTV folks, and uh, it was a it was a great little agency. And a good group of people, great place to learn. But she offered me a job reading scripts and just basically going over new manuscripts that would come through and kind of determine what went into the slush pile and what was actually viable. And um, found that I had a good eye for it, moved me into editing, and um, eventually ended up becoming a uh, literary agent, which was really cool. And uh, and then started doing talent agenting as well. So did that for quite a while. Um my son was born. I have two kids. My son was born in two thousand and one. And shortly after that, I, it just it became apparent that the industry wasn't any place I really wanted my kids to grow up. And um you've probably heard a lot of horror stories about, you know, young people growing up in the industry. I was lucky. I got to the industry. I was already coming into my adult years, but I know a lot of people um that I met early on. That are famous now, I guess you'd say, but they weren't. They weren't. They were struggling at the time, and I just watched them go through some awful, awful things along the way. And I thought, I don't want my kids to go through that. And um, my uh, my ex wife and I, uh, we had an opportunity to go uh, to move out to Arizona and change life, start things over. And uh, so we took the chance. Ever since then, I've just. I've done so many different things, but um, recently got back to the, uh, I say recently, but uh, it was in 2016, we started a, a little publishing co- company called Epiphany Mill. And um, just this year, uh, I passed the uh, the CEO duties over to my wife as uh, she's been involved with it the whole time. And she is the Spock to my Kirk. I'm definitely the... Uh, the one who rushes into things with fists in the air, screaming about the injustice. And she's much more likely to step back and say, perhaps we should consider (laughs) the outcome here. Um, And uh, so, yeah, she's taken things over and given me the opportunity to move into the CCO uh, position and really do the things I'm good at, really do the things that I love. I was passionate about getting it started, but it's kind of hard when you are a creative spirit and you're doing the day-to-day business type of thing so it uh boy i know i just rambled there a lot but um it's it's been an interesting road i heck my first jobs i started off as a uh i I worked as a cattle wrangler in wyoming for uh I, i did some summer work as a cattle wrangler and uh spending you know 12 hour days, six days a week in, in the saddle will change your perspective on life. I even worked for a private investigator as a field operative for a while, did undercover work. So I've um, had a lot of perspective on life. And it uh, I think it gives me kind of a unique way of looking at how other people function and being able to understand other people's perspective as well, kind of vantage points, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I think, you know, I always like to go back to people's childhoods and and wonder was there pressure from anyone to say yeah you're you're a writer or you're good at writing you're creative but that's not a practical job you know go and do something you want to go be an actor in L A okay they're there right <laughs> you know nice n- nice try you know it's great to have dreams but was there ever that
1: I think there's always that underlying. Uh, Yeah, it's it. It doesn't really go away. And people try to be supportive. My dad, I I remember at the time I was I was um, in fact, one of the things talking about acting um, voice acting has been something I've been very passionate about. And as far as like what you're doing now, you know, kind of the second the second act, you know, um, voice acting is my is really my transition back into the the acting part of things. Um, but my dad was real supportive of that at the time. I remember he, he was, um, uh, if you've, there's a, there's a voiceover studio down in, uh, in Los Angeles called, um, um, Del Mar Media Arts. And they, they do voiceover training and classes and whatnot. And Gordon Jump, who was the, the original Maytag man, um, he was, uh, the boss on WKRP in Cincinnati, um. Great guy. He was one of my mentors. I I got to learn from him there and uh, took a lot of voice acting. And so, you know, I've had family be supportive of it. I don't know that they ever thought that it was going to be my my calling, but they tried to be as supportive as they understood how to be. If that if that makes sense. I I didn't have anybody who was blatantly saying you're wasting your life. You're 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 making mistakes. But like. I think most parents try to do, I I hope most of them try to do, support what your kids want to do in a way that at least is constructive. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't bad. There was nothing toxic in that regard. It was just, you know, there was, they tried to support it, but really didn't understand how or why. So Mm kind of have to have that passion to to
2: really understand it.
0: Well, and I think I would wonder about, like, how did you learn what to do for all like all the careers you've had right did you was there formal training or are you the type of person who is a like a knowledge gatherer mm-hmm. from wherever you would be placing yourself right with all these varied things you've done
1: the definitely the latter yeah mm-hmm. i i before i went to wyoming i i had been on horseback maybe i had been on horseback maybe a half a dozen times and it was like you know in in more of a social environment. So it wasn't out there doing things. So I, I, I learned pretty quickly and working for the private investigator. I, I feel like I was 17 when he started, when I started working for him, um, which these days would probably be highly frowned upon, uh, <laughs> putting a 17 year old in. I, there were dangerous situations that I got put in working with this guy and he was great. He was a great mentor, but he, and he taught me a lot about life and people and, I'll tell you you work as a private investigator and you see some of the darker sides of life that you really mm. don't necessarily want to see so it 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 opened up a lot of areas in my mind as far as realizing what but your question about being, you know, kind of a knowledge gatherer that was that was actually a real benefit when I was doing that job because I was able to pivot and kind of chameleon as I was going through and he would send me into like I say at a very young age I had never had any Um, actual experience doing it, but he would send me into undercover work and say, here's your role, play it. And I think that was probably, if I ever say I had a real acting role, it was work, and I've never considered this before until right now. So thank you for asking this question. Um, I feel like that was probably my acting role of a lifetime, working for this private investigator and going places and pretending to be things and pretending to be a part of something and literally having... People go, come on in. You're, you are who you say you are, and it was it was very, hmm, yeah. It's interesting. I I guess I did act for a while.
0: <laughs> well, and it's interesting. You're talking about being a chameleon, right? Like, and so you know, I've I've talked to lots of people about about jobs, right? About work, and and the people who have been actors since the beginning and have just been like i am sticking with it they've got the grit they stick through it and through thick and thin do their job until they die and not just acting any job yep. right but it's really interesting what you're saying about being a chameleon and doing a bunch of different types of jobs like how can that not benefit you as a performer because as a perform very much life experience right it's just you're just a, have to just be a sponge yeah Yeah.
1: And it does, like I say, it it really opens up perspectives on other people's lives. I worked Mm. as a taxi driver for a while um, while I was writing back in 2010, 2011. I was working on a book and um, I took six months working as a cab driver just because it was a great way to pay the bills. I could be flexible, work on my own hours. and um, But I got to talk to so many interesting people and they don't all they see is a cab driver. You know, they don't see someone who's asking them questions or interviewing them, you know, in a way. Um, all they see is the cab driver. They they make immediate assumptions about who you are and where you come from in life. So, um, but yeah, it's, I you're, when you were saying, how could it not benefit you? It's funny because from a financial aspect, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> Um seeing all of this it'd be like being a a a lifelong traveler you know it's tough to to set down roots when you've gone when you're going from place to place to place and really to have any sort of stability and i'd say if there's any one downfall to the life i've lived over you know over time and being able to kind of do different things and experience life from all these different perspectives it's it's that it um it's not real great for the pocketbook so, uh, but for experiences and for what I, what I, my passion is, is and that's that's writing and interpreting life. You know, um, yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's, I just need to see it <laughs> turn into something.
0: Tell me about your time as an agent. You were both literary and talent agent. Mm-hmm. Tell me yeah. more about that.
1: Um, I worked mostly with the children's division when I was doing literary. I saw s- tons of like children's and young adult adult work come through and um, that real I mean, I, 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 think back and I wonder how many, uh, you know, fledgling JK Rowling's came through, you know, mm. uh, came through that, that office at that time. And it was, um, this was in the early nineties. So it was, I mean, there was, the internet still wasn't people weren't marketing on the internet. People were still doing all kinds of traditional marketing, you know, magazines and whatnot. and it was it was such a different world at the time. And um I don't think anybody saw at that point even how powerful a tool everything, you know the the internet was going to be and and internet marketing. and honestly, on the downside of it, how convoluted all of it was going to get, none of us really saw how difficult marketing was going to become, because at that point, the only competition was the other agencies. Um, suddenly, you know, the Internet came along and everything opened up to everyone, which is wonderful because, I mean, I I embrace that daily, but it really was an interesting transition. And I think a lot of the smaller agencies um, like AFH just really kind of vanished because, People were either doing it independently or they were transitioning on to a big agency that could compete with everything that was changing and growing. So it was great. I was uh, I feel like um if you're if you if you are into music, I feel like some of the uh you know, if you look at the eighties, hair metal was a big thing. But then there are some of these bands that came along in the late in the early nineties that were hair metal that like made two albums and vanished because the whole genre went away. And I feel like the time I got with AFH was really kind of like that. I was at the very end of the end the, the the end edge of that part of the industry. So I feel really grateful for the opportunity to do that. But it was so cool getting to meet the the, the different writers, the different people who had so much passion for it, and if nothing else sparking my desire to do better for people in that way. So
2: mm
1: and to pursue that. And then as a talent agent, I got to, I got to work with some really cool people over at, uh, like I say, over at MTV, Nina Blackwood was someone I got to, got to hang out with quite a bit. If you, if you know any of the MTV VJs, the originals, but, uh, Nina Blackwood was great. And, and there were several, but, uh, um, and then some of the lesser known actors that, uh, like, uh, Joey Segal, he's Katie Segal's brother and a uh, cool guy just, you know, he unfortunately kind of Kept working in the shadow of his sister, and uh, um, but a lot of the kind of lesser known. We were we were a pretty small agency, but it was it was interesting. And if nothing else, it really got my feet wet and helped me understand how the industry works. And I got to go to a lot of interesting functions, and uh, you know, as a part of that, you get to go and meet a lot of people, made a lot of lifelong friends, and it was really cool.
0: A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are. People interested in pursuing acting or another creative career after another, after, you know, their first act, as I'm calling it. And a lot of people, I get a lot of questions personally about like, how did you find your agent, agent, I need an agent, 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 right? In your experience, your time as both a literary and a talent agent, what would you say... Like, is there any? Are there any qualities of both the humans that you'd meet, or like the books that you'd read, or just the talent that would come across your desk in whatever form there was that would make it jump out?
1: Hmm. I, I you know, it's funny. I think I kind of started off originally talking about how like people recognize if you're being true, if you're being passionate, if your if your passions are coming through, and um, I think. If I could say there was any one thing I would I would look for and people worry so much. I mean, of course, you want things to be relatively polished. You don't want to you know, look like you just threw down a manuscript on a napkin and sent it in. You want things to be professional. But at the same time, um, passion shines through so much more than I think people recognize. If someone is passionate about their work, whether it be as a writer or as an actor or an actress, if you're if you're in there and you're you're giving it a hundred percent. And I would say that the, the other half of that, it's, it's neither more or less important, but the other half of passion and talent is um, willingness to take direction. And, um, a lot of people, the, the, the biggest turnoff for any casting director, for any agent is ego. Um, is arrogance the moment someone walks in and says my book is perfect it doesn't need to be edited i my in my audition is perfect the way it is i do not need direction um that's and and especially today even more so than back then um because back then they were still really trying to appease uh folks with the internet now we've got a, a way to literally find talent that we didn't have before um You notice there are so many Internet stars that have suddenly gone on to do other things. And um, it's because there's there's a bigger pool available than there was when it was just people in Hollywood auditioning, you know, and sitting in a room waiting for their chance to to audition or sending books to a very specific set of agencies. Now you've got the ability to self-publish, to put yourself out there with auditions on, you know, audition tapes and reels on the Internet. Um, So they're a lot less forgiving about that now than even they even then. So um I would say that the qualities would absolutely be passion and willingness to to learn, willingness to take some direction, willingness to accept guidance that comes from a, a, a you know a, a place of wisdom and 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 caring, genuine need to to help someone. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: Oh oh my gosh, it that just it it hit me in the gut, right? Like it's it's one of those things where when it's said out loud it makes complete sense. Obviously you're like, Oh well yeah, duh, I don't have an ego. But I think when it comes to creative careers, I kind of wonder like how to shut that down because it's hard to take criticism. It is. Regardless of if it's obviously, it's obviously it's really hard to take non-constructive criticism, and but it's even hard, it's hard to take constructive criticism when it's your like your literal soul being put out there as opposed to I built I put the bricks over here and built a brick wall, and people can say that brick wall sucks. Like, yeah, that's fine, but it's not me; it's my brick wall. Yeah. Where it's like your acting sucks. Your book sucks. You're like, oh, there's no that that is me. You are insulting me. My soul. How my soul like how do you have any advice for how to how to get over that?
1: You know, and and you hear the thick skin comment all the time. Grow a thick skin. I honestly, that's easier said than done. I think, honestly, I, I think some people are either born with a thick skin or they're not. You you don't grow a thick skin. You learn to accept that some people's opinions are going to differ from yours, and um, and I I think that would be the other side. I'm glad you asked that. Honestly, that's that's one of those things that I feel like taking my first statement at complete face value. That that could be dangerous if you have the wrong advice. If someone is coming to you and saying your book is terrible. Uh, I mean, look at J.K. Rowling. I mean, I'll, I'll use her as an example again. And it's just 50 no's before you get a yes. And I'm pretty sure that along with those 50 no's, there was probably feedback in at least a few of those. Not every agent really does that anymore. Not every, you know, talent director or casting director. Not everybody actually bothers with feedback anymore. But I'm pretty sure out of 50 no's, she got some feedback it could have been very easy for her to say, all right, I'll make the changes that you suggested and maybe we'll work together. She saw something in her work that she felt was important and she decided that her work was worth sticking behind the way it was and it paid off. It doesn't mean it always is and I think sometimes you have to get some honest opinions but keep in mind that the casting directors, the, the, uh, the literary agents, the talent agents, they're not passionate about you. They're not passionate about your work. They're passionate about what you can do for them. And if they see uh, something that they feel is a viable resource, a viable quantity that they can take and say, now I can use this. I can make something of this. They may have different ideas about it. Um, A good example of it would be uh, when uh, The Dark Tower, the movie came out. The, the book, the book series was fantastic, but the direct, the directors, the when they wrote it and they directed it, they had a different uh, ver- vision for it. They wanted to kind of make it a sequel direction. So, but nobody really understood that. And I feel like sometimes work is done a disservice by allowing someone else to come in and say, "I'm going to change it because I think this is how we can sell it." Um, pretty long winded answer to you know, just if you believe in your work. Stick with it. If you believe in what you can do, um, don't take necessarily even fifty people's word for it. Believe in what you can do and believe in what you've got. Now and I I do this. I have people that I that I I know care about me for me. I know are passionate about certain things. And there's a fine line because you can ask people, hey, what do you think of this? And they're gonna tell you that they love it every single time because it's you. Um But then there are also people that you know, you can trust to say, I really like this, but and that becomes your core support group when it comes to things like that, because they still love you. They want to see you succeed. But if they can understand what your what your perspective is, what your goals are, what your dreams are, and they know you well enough to do that, they can be supportive in ways that people just don't imagine. And I think those are resources people don't use nearly enough. I, for me, as a writer, I use it as beta readers. you know, I mean these are people that will read things that I've written and give me honest feedback and find things that maybe I could have done differently, or I think you know what I'm saying. That's a very long-winded answer, but
0: no, I absolutely do. And I think that's the one of the biggest struggles that I know people who've come into this industry later on in life struggle to find is that community of people who they can trust because if they didn't come through a traditional theater school, background they don't have that built-in network and a lot of times the network that they had like for me it's like I went to medical school this network of doctors when I'm like now I'm telling them I'm into acting they're like huh right? <laughs> like I don't get it right so yes. they they are lovely well-intentioned people with my best interest at heart for sure but it's just they don't quite understand so it's trying to find that tribe that community of like-minded individuals with the intentions of of building you up and yes. giving you that constructive criticism. Very how, when there's so many people out there, thanks internet, <laughs> who want to tell you what is best for you, how do you filter that?
1: Well, I think part of it is, and this this is this is what I've done, and and this is what I other people that I know have done. And this it's not there's no magic answer for anybody. I I think unfortunately, otherwise you know somebody would have written a self help book that would have put all of the other ones away, and they would have all gone to bed, and we'd have one that we go to. But um, <laughs> it's it really comes down to us an inner dialogue. What is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that's important to me? What are the non negotiables? What are the things that I can let go of? What are the things that I can accept change on? What are the things that I am absolutely firm in my foundation on? And it could be specific beliefs. It could be, you know, moral tenets. It could be. And and then you start to build on that and decide what kind of criticism am I, am I willing to take? What kind of. And that's not an easy conversation, but it has to start within because. You're the only one that can answer that. What am I willing to accept from other people, because uh, honestly, that's the first piece. In, pe- that's the first thing that shuts most people down, is hearing feedback from people who don't get them, and they're like, "But you don't understand. You don't get this. You don't know what I'm saying." And that's frustrating. And then you start to wonder, "Am I just crazy? Am I just... Uh, I mean, maybe this is not what I should be doing." And um, but finding a support group, it's. I feel like things like what we're what we're doing right now, having this conversation and finding people, I think this is how it's done, is developing networks, developing people and finding the like minded people and saying, hey, I saw this person on this podcast. I want to reach out to them and say, because I think and then building those communities, I they really just as much as social media is so pervasive in our daily life. I think it has also kind of taken away the ability to have tighter knit relationships mm. and more focused conversations because the conversations on social media just get so convoluted so quickly. It's very difficult to have to, to really know what you intend to say and and get real conversations going, get real answers because everybody's in all directions, but. And I know there are some wonderful platforms, you know, you could go on to Reddit, you could go on to Quora or something and ask questions and talk, but I, I'm i old enough to remember when everything was done, you know, at a at a table, you know, people said, hey, let's get together and sit, sit down. Let's go to, you know, I mean, even if it was just to say, let's go to Denny's late when there's nobody there and uh, sit around a table and just brainstorm. Um, you don't really see it done much anymore, but I used to sit at like table readings with, uh, you know, when they would, read through a script for a film. And that was fantastic watching everybody get into character and connect. And the reason I bring that up is because that's now you're getting people together with a similar goal and they're sharing thoughts and something may be changed in a script search simply because of how a certain person says something and they go, holy cow, I never thought of putting it quite that way. You said it wrong. You said it the way I didn't intend it, but now I'm, I'm rethinking how it needs to go and I feel like those conversations just don't happen organically anymore. It's just people typing in words. Words are too easy to filter when you're like doing this right now. And I know it gets, you know, you get, there's an edit process and everything, but still words are unfiltered when you're speaking, you ask a question, we talk, we're, we're, we're having a conversation, but I think it's, it's way too easy to filter, not just your answers, but your questions. And to rethink and second guess, what am I asking? What do I really want? Oh nobody's going to understand it. Look, I just saw that person asked a similar question. Nobody wants to hear it from me now, but it's still your question. It's still your purpose, your passion, your direction and I, how do we, how do we find those groups? I, I think we have to take it upon ourselves to, to actually build those groups. I don't I don't know that they exist in everybody's ideal form anymore.
0: Tell me about your voiceover work.
1: (laughs) Love doing voiceover. Um, I started doing silly voices when I was about 12. Found that uh, it's when, you know, your voice starts to change. And I started to find that I actually could mimic. Um, uh, So it was a guilty pleasure back then. And now it's just a guilt. (laughs) But I used to do prank calls when I was a kid. I mean, there. There was no Star 69. There was no caller ID. It was just my brother and I thought it was the funniest thing to call and confuse people. We didn't say awful things to people, but we would we would confuse people with voices that would like make them scratch their heads. And I found that I could mimic a few of my friend's parents and I would call them and call their families and pretend to be them and then watch the mayhem ensue later when they say, I never said that. I didn't call you. What are you talking about? It's pretty awful. And yes, I I, I'm sure that there is some, you know, if you if you believe in karma, I'm sure that <laughs> some of the jobs I've had to take over the years have been a result of that, you know. I feel like sometimes anytime you have to take a job doing, um, you know, like customer service on a phone, you, it's because you did prank calls or something awful, in a, you know, somewhere in your life. So. <laughs> but uh, literally, I got the bug from mimicking other people and then finding that, uh, that I had a, I had a knack for it. And, um, in fact, uh, Chris Walken, um, and I don't know if this would hold true. Now, this was in the, this was in like, I, I think 93, 94, maybe he told me that, um, I did, uh, my impression, my impression of him that he heard, uh, he said that it was in his top three, but he wouldn't tell me who the other two were. And where I fell in the top three. And so I was, I, I mean, I, I still enjoy that. I thought that was pretty cool back then. Um, I'm going to pop my headset so I, I can do it and hear myself a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's crazy when you go
2: to the bookstore and you find a magazine with your face on it. It's confusing and maddening.
1: I don't know, but wow. So, I don't know where I fall in his, where I'd fall in his range now. Number
0: one, <laughs> that's so good.
2: The other one that my kids oh, love God. is. Um, so you know, it's very important that I have to tell you, when you're going to go into the gym, you have to remember that if you're going to be lifting weights, you have to make the noises to go with the weights. You have to remember that when you're making the lifting sound. You, you have to lift it. And when you're doing the poses, you have to do the high noises noises for the, the high poses and for the low poses. It's super fantastic, you have to remember this. And then you go to Austria and you have some turkey at they uh, didn't at Thanksgiving in in Austria, but you go to America and you do this. So anyway, um but
0: this is so good. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh out loud. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> My son
1: uh, he was so convinced when he was little that, um, I was stealing Arnold's voice. He was worried for oh. Arnold. He said that does he have your voice when you're using his so I, oh. I always thought that was he was worried that poor Arnold was confused that he had my voice suddenly, so he was pretty sure I was swapping voices. But oh my God, I learned really early on that I could do a lot of different a lot of different voices i and it's 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 still a sad to think about, but uh um. Robin Williams was someone I got to know real well when I was uh, working out there, and uh, kind of took me under his wing early on, and told me that he'd seen a lot of young people go through bad stuff, and kind of got that stuck in my head that um, I didn't want to go that route. And uh, but he used to listen to a lot of my voices and critique along the way, and of course I got to hear a lot of his stuff too. It was oh. it was pretty cool. But uh, what a wonderful man, by the way. That was uh, oh. He was like, even at a young age uh, and I, when I met him, he was younger than I am now. And, um, even at that age, he was just like everybody's grandpa. It was funny. He wasn't old, but he just had that, that, that feel like you just knew that he, you could trust him. You know, he was just, he was, he was a good person. So, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, voice acting I actually had an opportunity and it was it was almost my big break there was a show in the 90s called The Critic uh and John Lovitz uh it was an animated series with John Lovitz and he was uh, it was about a, a movie critic and uh and his son and John Lovitz was the main character and I got hired to do um like Hank Azaria does kind of all the utility voices for The Simpsons They wanted someone to come on and do voices for because it was it was he was a movie critic. They would put movies and weird commercials and stuff very much like kind of like the family guy does now with all of their little interspersed uh, sketches that get thrown into it. And um, they I I, when I, I remember when I I recorded tons of voices, I recorded voices for horses, for a toilet, for an old cowboy uh you know for a a string of little ducklings talking to each other as they were walking along and losing mom and i did all these these voices that i recorded and then the show got canceled so um i understand that some of the voices ended up in a couple of the syndicated episodes at the end of their run but uh but a, a ton of it just kind of hit the cutting room floor as they abandoned the show and it was too bad i i always kind of looked at it as my um as a as the potential big, big break, but it is what it is. I mean, and there's so many people in Hollywood that have that same story. My almost story.
0: What so. would you say your family, your loved ones, friends, how would they describe what you do for a living these days?
1: <laughs> um You know, it's interesting. Actually these days I think they're finally seeing it as 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 viable. And it took a long time because you go, and I think you probably hear this story a lot too from from people, um, especially when you're trying to. For me, I'm I'm transitioning back into it. I'm I'm kind of working my way backwards back into it, into the industry again. But a lot of people are just getting into it for the first time, finding that they've had a passion for it, and and now they want to do something with it. And it is difficult when your family's looking at you, going, "What are you doing with your life?" I'm sure, like, and I'm sure you could share stories about when you said, "Hey." Medical school, I'm going to act. And I'm sure people just, like you said, even the doctors scratch their heads at it. Um, But I think my family is finally seeing at this point now, first of all, I'm not stopping. I'm not going away. I don't give up. (laughs) I've been working at it for a very long time. Perseverance, that really is another characteristic. It's not something that that the professionals are looking for, but man, you got to have it. You got to have that. If there's a thick skin, it's got to be perseverance. It's just got to be that that old Rocky Balboa thing about, you know, it's not how hard you can get hit. It's how hard you can get hit and still get back up. Um, and I, that's such good advice for like everything in life. It's like, it belongs. Like I could just see some like Yoda saying that to someone, you know, it's (laughs) how hard it is. Matters not. (laughs) But, uh, but they do take it seriously now. They see me as um, not just a publisher, but um, but as as an author, as uh, I'm producing audiobooks now for uh, my books and for others. So they're they're seeing that as viable. And I think they're just finally realizing I'm even if I have to hang on by the skin of my teeth, I'm holding on and it's 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 I'm continuing forward no matter what. So they're you're asking this at a point that it's actually starting that. That opinion, that, um, that landscape of opinions is starting to change, mm. not just family, but friends and acquaintances, you know, like um, way back to, way back to high, uh, high school, college, grade school, even, you know, people that are reaching out going, man, it's good to see you actually doing this, you know, like oh. actually doing the things that are that you love. And, and it's been so cool watching the path that you've taken to get here and um and hearing people say that has been really uh, it's 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 touching it's really neat to hear that from people
0: absolutely it's affirming I think right it is like, absolutely
1: self-affirmation is tough but when you can have other people share it you know yes. share in that it it, it, it does but make a difference
0: it does and I think again it kind of goes back to what we were talking about how hard it can be to be put your soul out there and be like, this is me and my talent. Yes. And when somebody comes back to you and says, good job, it's just, I know there's a whole like love languages book about words of affirmation. And I think Very most much. actors and artists are like the words of affirmation, love language, because like, thank you. I'm not crazy. No. Thank you. I can do this.
1: Yes. That's so true. It's so true. And and I think I'd never really thought about that. But you're right. I think even certain careers probably have a love language, depending on what you're doing. But I think anything in the arts really is very much you need the affirmation. And there are some people who don't care. They're, you know, they, they're just doing it for themselves. And if it sells, then it's great. Um, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people who are just, you know, they they really don't care what other people think as long as they they're what they're doing is well received and why they don't care as long as they, <laughs> they know it got there but i think most people you're right that is that's huge the the yeah. affirmation and i don't know if i ever completely answered that about you know putting your your soul out there but i i just feel like that's just that's such a hard thing for most people to do it it really is and that's why i say start with a few people that are close um but not so close that they're going to tell you everything you want to hear. I mean, everybody's mom wants to go, oh, my gosh, you're, you're, the, you're, you're amazing. This is the most incredible whatever. You could do Hamlet and stumble through it, you know, and stutter and whatever. And they're going to say, oh, my God, I was moved beyond words. And But it's I, I feel like um, there is a point when you have to step off that. You know, it's like being a skydiver. There is a point when you have to jump out of the plane to, to experience the fall. Um, otherwise you're not skydiving uh, there is a point when you have to move forward um Somebody asked me a, a an odd question like you had mentioned that putting it out there is like having people criticize you know something that you're passionate about, and I was thinking about it you know it's like having someone tell you that your kids are awful um uh, mm. and uh although i i would Defend my kids over my books any day. <laughs> books are just a matter of opinion. My kids, I feel, you know, there's something different. But, but I, you know what I'm saying there. And I thought it, oh, I think the question had been about, you know, trying to describe your book in one word. I thought that's like taking a rainbow and saying, describe it in one color. You know, I, I don't, only you know the depth of what you've got going on. And I think that, um, know your work, know yourself. And, be confident in what you're doing. I, that's actually something else that people look for. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Mm. Arrogance is I don't need you. I don't need your advice. I, I, whatever you say means nothing to me. Confidence is just simply saying I'm good at this, but I can be better. And have confidence when you're talking about your stuff. I, I think too many good interviews or too many good, um, Opportunities for people to act or to write or to get out there with a good agent or with the public is flatlined by lack of confidence. Believe in yourself, believe in your work, believe in your interview, believe in your audition, believe in what it is you're putting out there, um, because the people seeing it will recognize when you don't. And if you can't have confidence in your own talent, in your own creativity, in your own skills it's hard for someone in the in the industry to look at you and go you're an option you're you're viable so and sometimes without having any of those affirmations it's it's so difficult to have that confidence it's like it's it's this vicious cycle yeah. it's a catch-22 i've had nobody affirm that i'm any good and um but i still have to remain confident yeah If you want to do it and you believe in it, then yes.
0: Absolutely. And I think in this era of self-tape auditions as actors, right, when we're not in the room with anyone, when even if you weren't getting verbal feedback from an audition in the room, you were getting emotional, energetic, tactile, visual feedback. So much so. But now... You are sending the tape into the ether and getting ghosted. Yes. And being told that that that's enough feedback. That's good feedback. No feedback is good feedback. No, that Mm doesn't. Right? No. But, yes, when you're not getting any affirmations back that your talent is of any good and literally hearing crickets, I think, and this is what I've done. Is it right? I don't know. I have found people who will watch my tapes and give me feedback. Yes. They are nothing to do with the casting process. If you were to look at it as an external observer, you'd say their feedback means Jack Diddley in the end scheme of things. Yeah. For you maybe, but for me, I need that. Because otherwise it's like I'm getting nothing.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think... And- Again, the networking is huge. The networking opportunity, getting it out there is incredible because you will get different opinions. You will get people. The The one caution I have is to be careful of competition, because mm-hmm. there are people who will be jealous of what you can do and who you right. are and what you're bringing to the table and go. Hmm. You know, it's a a. a deep, If I have time, there's a funny story that I like Mm -hmm. to share. Uh, So,
0: yes, please.
1: This was actually it's the Arnold voice. But there's if you've ever seen, have you ever seen the movie Pumping Iron?
0: Not the full movie, but I, 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 yeah, I know it. I know it's a it's
1: a documentary, and it's Arnold very young. But there's a story. Somebody asks him at one point. They say, "So, you know, you've been Mr. Olympia so many times. You've been Mr. Universe. You've been Mr. World. You've been all these things. Have you ever worried? Have you ever had someone come to you and ask for advice?" that you knew that if you gave them good advice, they would become a threat to your title. And if
2: so, what did you do? And he goes, Eh, that's easy. I remember there was a guy in Germany and he came to me and he said, Arnold, you're my hero. You're the man I want to be like. I want to be a fantastic bodybuilder like you. Can you give me some good advices so I could go up on the stage and pose properly? And this is where my little you know high noises and low noises comes from because he says to him, he says, so I told him, When you go into the stage, you have to do two things. You have to remember, when you do the high poses, you make uh, the high noises. And when you do the low poses, uh, uh, you growl and you make the low noises. And it only took him two poses to get pulled from the stage.
0: (laughs) And I thought, what the heck?
2: If Arnold could sabotage someone's career
1: simply because he felt threatened, what would people like you or me do if it was our only shot at success?
0: Oh, my God.
1: And so I just feel like, be careful of people who are, it's like, there's just this balance. Understand what people are willing to tell you that's good. But also some of you have, as much as you have to take mom's, oh, I love it, with a grain of salt. Some people, you have to take their criticism with a grain of salt as well, because they may just be going, hmm, low pose. Or. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's really tough.
0: Yeah. And I think... You know, I think I come from a career path and an educational path that is extremely competitive. Like Uh, getting into medical school, I've always been extremely competitive intellectually, physically, you know, played sports and stuff like that. And my family is very competitive and it was always seen as a pro, right? This is a positive aspect because look at where it will get you. It'll get you into medical school. It'll get you into the position that you are. And then when now in this creative industry in the entertainment industry, especially in a, a, a tiny market and a fledgling emerging market like Canada, yeah, I find the biggest detriment to my career now is my competitive nature because Like, maybe if I was in L.A., it would be a benefit because it's just this established market where you kind of need to compete with the millions of other 30-something white females who are trying to get into the industry. Right. Where I think in Canada, and maybe I'm just, um, you know, saying it out loud so I believe it, (laughs) that if I'm competitive in this market, if I'm being cutthroat and mean to my air quotes Mm competition… Uh, that is ego, like what we were saying before, coming in, and it is a huge negative towards me networking in this industry and building myself up as a reliable, nice human being to work with, which I am. But <laughs> I can get my competitive right nature now. is is not is not helpful here, which has been a learning process.
1: It it can be in the sense that you still want to remember that what you're what the the brass ring is and that is that is work i mean if you want to work and if you want to be recognized there you're still competing you're still you know i mean it's like going into a job interview and feeling bad for the person who didn't get the job if you're the best qualified for it then you still you have to believe in yourself enough to say i am the best for this um you know it's like when you're writing a a cover letter for anything and you want to say why am i the best for this um i feel like that's where I say it's and you you just said it there's a difference between ego and and um and bringing in arrogance and I think if you can if anybody listening or you or anybody can make a distinction between arrogance and ego arrogance and confidence honestly um then you're okay uh, I know a lot of very confident people in the industry that are still good people and care about people um. Robert Downey Jr., great example of that. Good, good guy. Um, shirt off his back for people. Um, honestly, I mean, as a person, good person. Um, very competitive in the industry. He's not afraid to walk into a room and say, so uh, you just uh, you just interviewed him. You just auditioned him. Um, let me tell you why he's not the guy for the role and why I am. Not that he's disparaging the other person as a person, he might say Chris Pratt's a great guy, but let me tell you why I fit this role better, and I th- I think that's okay. Um, again, it's as long as you're not doing it in a in an arrogant, you know, looking down on everybody else type of way. It's it really is it I think a healthy dose of confidence is is almost a survival tool in in the industry. Having a little bit of an ego is 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 fine as long as it's not arrogance. And there are there are plenty, and we uh, we've seen it hundreds of times play out this way. There are so many entertainers that have just vanished because they were difficult to work with. Their demands became crazy. They were not nice to people, and um, so there is a balance. And I think that's true with everything. It's like uh, I did an interview with her with a, a guy who does talks about video games. He was interested that my my books. Uh, revolve around a character who's involved in a video game type of world or scenario, uh, at least the current ones. And um, like he said, what do you think about video gaming? And I said, video game is great. If it's, if it's one of those things that someone uses as an escape uh, or to take out a little aggression at the end of the day, you know um, it's when someone's life becomes consumed with anything and it can be consumed in our own self confidence or own self worth um, when you become too consumed with any one thing, it, it throws balance out. Why I just sounded like a belonging, you know, on a mountaintop in, you know, Machu Picchu or something.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you another chance to sound like you're in a motivational po- poster. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice?
1: <laughs> oh, wow. I think that's the toughest thing. Uh, no, it really, it's, it's, um, I always tell people, stick, you know, if you, if you believe in something, stick with it. Um, stick with your passions. Yeah, don't don't give up. It's so easy to... I'll, I'll just go right back to the 50 no's and the 51, you know, the 51st yes. There is a market for everything. There's, you know, there's a market for every style. But I think the other thing, if over the years, the things that I've seen, aside from perseverance, just not giving up and knowing what something is worth, be humble. Don't be afraid to know. Don't be afraid to take advice and know that there's always improvement. There's always improvement in whatever craft you have mastered. You know, I'll do the air quotes like you, whatever you've already mastered, there's always room for improvement. Uh, You know, and I, Anthony Hopkins, one of, you know, honestly, one of the, the greatest actors of any generation. And he says, I, the day I stop watching other people act, the day I stop learning from their style, the day I stop, you know, um, wanting to be more, wanting to show more, is the day I might as well just, you know, go and sit on a couch and watch Matlock. Yeah. (laughs) For the rest of my life. I keep learning, keep growing.
0: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and thank you, Mr. Garcia, for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your amazing story with us and your incredible words of wisdom. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of Second Act Act Actors. Bye!